here we are again. So today we're going to talk about alopecia. I'm really excited about this podcast. Yes. I always think the word alopecia sounds a bit like an English variety of pear. I've always thought of it as a rose variety. Isn't that funny? <laughs> and it's fair to say, Lucy, that this is a subject close to our hearts. And Yes, it is. Well, I'm sitting here bald yes. with my furry hat on. Yes, so I have, I have no hair anywhere on my body. And um, massive welcome to Georgie. Thank you so much for coming in today. Oh, yes, we've, we've both been very excited that you've been coming along to talk. Thank you so much for having me. Um, we had a chat about how to structure today, and I think we'll do the boring bit first. Your bit. My bit's the boring <laughs> bit, which is that all the different types of hair loss, yes. just so that people, if they've begun to have hair loss, can kind of work out which type of hair loss they have. I think it's probably fair to say, Nikki, it's not very well understood as I'd a condition or what causes it and why, and certainly not what can be done about it, which is sort of part of the problem for people like me. And I think GPs are pretty ignorant. Um, it's you not ignorant lot. We are. We're very ignorant. <laughs> I don't think it's something we're taught about at, at medical school. You know, it's not, no. it's not well taught. There's not enough information there. So, yeah, I think... If you sort of encompass people who lose their hair for other reasons as well, and hair loss in itself is relatively common, isn't it? It might be chemo, which is a whole different thing, but the process of not having hair and what to do about it is... And how it makes you it's feel. It's a huge challenge. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. There's a little bit of help and guidance I can give, and then we'll focus on your story and then on our other guest speaker's Georgie's story. Georgie's story, mm. yes, absolutely. Well, I think, as you've alluded to, hair loss is extremely common, and in fact, half the population have alopecia of some description or have had it. Um, cause half it can the be, population? Yeah, by the age of 50, in some form or other. Well, I never... Men and women are affected in, in equal proportion. Um, of course, it's sort of socially more... Ex well, I don't know. You I can argue know, that actually. because actually, I, I think a lot of men feel very self-conscious yeah. about hair loss. My, it certainly runs in my family. My, yeah. my dad and my brother... I hope you don't mind me saying that, David. <laughs> I need to cut and, that out. Um, <laughs> he won't mind. And, you know, actually, possibly my eldest son, they've all got sort of mm. male pattern hair loss. As we know, it has a significant impact on quality of life and your psychological well-being. Um, in fact, there, is, there was a study that showed that women having treatment for breast cancer were affected at least as much by hair loss as by um, mastectomy. Well, yes, looking back on my mother's experience, she had a cancer journey, she started off with breast cancer, and the worst part of the whole process for her was losing her hair. I remember watching her sitting on the stairs, weeping, because mm. she was bald, and she said, this is the worst thing, I feel defeminized, just not myself. Yes, it was worse, almost not worse than the cancer, but for her it was psychologically really, really difficult to cope with. Well, it's difficult to not feel that everybody's looking at your head, isn't it? Yes. I mean, if you're not well, used yeah. to being stared at, I think it's... But as a female, it's the, it is defeminizing. There's no two ways about it. Well, hair itself is made up of a tough protein called keratin, and there's something called a hair follicle that anchors each hair into the skin. And the hair bulb forms the base of the hair follicle. Um, and in the hair bulb, living cells divide and grow to build the hair shaft and blood nourishes the cells in the bulb and delivers hormones that um, modify the growth and structure of the hair. 
And the, there's actually three phases of hair growth. There's something called anagen, A-N-A-G-E-N, which is the growth phase. Most hair on your head is growing, and each hair lasts several years in this phase. So most hair is growing at any one point. Then there's something called catagen, which is the transition period. And over a few weeks, hair growth slows and the follicle shrinks. And then there's something called telogen, which is the resting phase. Over months, growth stops, the old hair detaches from the follicle and a new hair begins growth, pushing the old hair out. A little bit like, mm. well, I imagine teeth come up and push the old one yeah. out. So it's a little bit like that. Um, and so I think that we need to understand that in order to understand why you get patterns of baldness and hair loss. And there are several types of alopecia and they're classified by the underlying mechanism for the disease and whether or not there's a possibility of regrowth. So the most common types of alopecia are non-scarring alopecia, which is the pattern hair loss or bald pattern hair loss. Um, in fact, it had another name in the past, androgenetic alopecia. There's so many long names in this. It's, <laughs> but, but that's non-scarring alopecia is the bald yep. pattern hair loss. Um, there's also telogen effluvium, which we will, I will explain these words, do not panic, and alopecia areata, and we'll explain all of these terms. And these three types represent over 75% of the cases of alopecia. There is also scarring alopecia, and that's important to note because this hair loss is irreversible. So prompt diagnosis and treatment is crucial. So can it be treated? Well, we'll, get, we'll talk about that because I think it's very difficult, but there, yeah. are, there are things people try. So let's talk about pattern hair loss um, or bald pattern hair loss. And we are going to have a much better uh, talk on this when our expert with this condition mm. arrives with Georgie. Yeah. But this is non-scarring. So the hair follicles are not destroyed and there is theoretically a possibility of hair regrowth. There are usually no signs of overt inflammation. So there's no redness, scale or scarring when, if you look at the head. So let's start with male pattern baldness or male pattern hair loss. So you get retraction of the hairline and hair loss on the crown. There's usually a positive family history. Um, one of the tests they do, which you probably had done when you lost your hair, is your thyroid and your ferritin iron levels. Yep. There's some evidence that um, supplementing iron, if your iron levels are low, um, can help with regrowth in some patients. But as you know, it's not a magical answer at all, unfortunately. But it's definitely worth correcting problems with the thyroid and problems with iron levels. Yeah, I, I did have very low ferritin. They found out I was very anemic, and so I had oh, really? all sorts of tests for that. And iron tablets, aren't they horrible? Yes, they are. So sort of... Uh, corrected that but <laughs> as help. you can see mm. I mean in a man that they also um, document a baseline prostate uh, specific antigen PSA blood test and that's because um, you can use in men finasteride um, but um, as that can affect the prostate you have to just check the level before you start um, so the I've just mentioned a couple of drugs there's one called minoxidil or Regain. I'm sure you've heard of that. Uh, Regain is an anti-hypertensive vasodilator. What does that mean? 
that means it dilates the blood supply, dilates the blood vessels, and the antihypertensive bit means it lowers your blood pressure. And it lowers your blood pressure because it dilates your blood vessels. What I understand is that for some people, um, regain does stimulate hair growth, but as soon as you stop using it, it then falls out again. And perhaps the hair that is stimulated is sort of not quite like your normal hair. But then other people seem to have found it a really fantastic solution and it's worked really well for them. Well, there's some problems with it. First of all, it can cause temporary hair loss. And as you're using it to try and gain your hair, then that's not great. Um, and on a tangent, uh, it's actually also lethal to cats in very tiny amounts. So you have to be very, very careful about leaving it anywhere that your pet might find it. Um, it works by increasing the blood and oxygen to the follicle. It's less effective the larger the area of hair loss and the longer the time that you're bald. And it's only licensed for central hair loss only. The other option is Propecia or oral finasteride in men. Um, that uh, is a hormone that um, lowers the hormone of testosterone. It's supposed to help hair regrow in about 66% of men, so that's quite a lot. But it does have some side effects. It can rarely cause depression. And you need to use a condom because it's excreted in semen. And if your partner is pregnant or trying to get pregnant, and you're excreting something that lowers testosterone, that's obviously going to cause a problem in the developing baby. Then there's hair transplantation, which is expensive, but actually can be really effective. Um, you remove skin and hair from the back of the scalp and transplant it to the thinning area. Hmm. Female pattern hair loss is characterised by thinning of the hair on the crown of your head, usually, with relative preservation of hair density on the, the back of the scalp. And again, the minoxidil, the regain, is supposed to help, but as you know, there are limited effects with that. The experience people have told me about is that they put the regain on their head and it causes some help with hair growth, but then the minute they stop the regain, exactly. it drops out again. Yeah. So, And again, you can consider hair transplantation for female pattern hair loss. Yeah. So we'll talk to Georgie about that. Mm. Okay, the next type of hair loss is called telogen effluvium. Who named these, Lucy? <laughs> I have no idea. Somebody who was very bored. Somebody in the 15th century. <laughs> <laughs> it's characterised by excessive hair shred shedding. Or shredding. <laughs> um, basically what happens is a large number of hair follicles simultaneously enter the resting or telogen phase of the hair cycle that we talked about earlier. You get diffuse thinning on the whole of the scalp. On a gentle hair pull test, two or more hairs are shed. Um, providing their patient hasn't washed their hair. I mean, people come in to me and they say, I washed my hair this morning and I was horrified and there's all this hair coming out into the mm. plug. And this is telogen effluvium, or it could mm. be anyway. Common causes of this are illnesses, pregnancy, crash diets. Note, note, <laughs> it's never <laughs> worth it. It's never worth it. I don't think I've ever done one in my life. <laughs> I think um, I did one for about 15 minutes. Yes, and then had no a bounty point. bar. Please don't do a crash diet because you might lose your hair. Medications and stress. So there are lots of medications that can cause this and the common culprits are blood thinners, blood pressure tablets, hormones, which is significant, isn't it? Because we take hormones for the contraception. Anticonvulsants, antidepressants, cimetidine is a big one, but we don't use that really anymore. That um, used to be used for indigestion. Cholesterol-lowering tablets and 
non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Those are things like ibuprofen, diclofenac, aspirin. Again, we, we check for thyroid and, and iron levels, but in a significant proportion of patients, no cause is identified. It starts about three months after the event, and the range can be from one to six months. So when Edward lost his hair, I suspect this, the stressful event happened probably three to six months before, so mm. very hard to identify exactly yeah. what's caused it. And other people, it, it happens almost overnight. My mum had a friend who got trapped on a train track somehow as a child, and she lost all her hair within, as you say, it was yeah. instant, and it Gosh. never grew back. The good news is that if you can identify the trigger, quite often the hair, shed, hair shedding will resolve and the hair density will recover, but it can take six months or longer. So we're going to jump to scarring alopecia and then come back to alopecia areata. Um, so scarring alopecia causes hair follicle destruction and hair loss is irreversible. So it's important to try and diagnose it promptly. The scarring looks like shiny scalp skin without any visible hair follicles when the scalp is examined under magnification and the aim of treatment is to limit further hair loss because unfortunately you can't facilitate regrowth. It can be caused by fungal or bacterial infection or significant inflammation. So if you get tinea, that's a fungal infection of the scalp, you get these red scaly patches um, and you get little black dots that you can see um, and that can rarely cause scarring alopecia. Tinea is identified elsewhere usually or in siblings or pets. Pets? Well, pets have ringworm. Oh. You can get ringworm from pets on your... I mean, forget your scalp, you can get ringworm yeah. on your skin from pets but sometimes. It can, gosh, that's quite drastic. Okay, so obviously if it's a fungal infection, you can either treat that um, by mouth um, or with topical ointments that you put onto the fungal infection. But to be honest, if it's on your scalp, we usually go straight for the oral treatments, the oral antifungals, because of the risk of this scarring. So um, there are some other rarer forms of alopecia. You can have lymphocytic alopecia, which is linked to lupus, which is a mm. condition that you can have and there's, there's other rare conditions. It's basically characterised by patches of scarring and treatments include superpotent steroid creams and um, basically immunosuppression, which we've talked about before, but there are different tablets you can use to suppress your immune system. They'd be something that would be seen by a skin specialist, actually, okay. or a rheumatologist. And there are these sort of lots of terminology around this um lichen plano pilaris uh, <laughs> i mean like I, some kind of rocket i know exactly and i you know that and this frontal fibrosing alopecia pseudopilade i mean i and central centrifugal alopecia all these are versions of the same thing which is this lymphocytic alopecia if you remember in our podcast on the immune system and the COVID vaccination. We mm. talked about lymphocytes, B cells mm. and T uh, cell yes. lymphocytes. Yes. And lymphocytic alopecia, when they have a look at the area where you've lost the hair, they see lots of lymphocytes and white cells. Oh, and yes. it's for some reason, it's an inflammatory response in the scalp. And all these other terms and terminologies, they're all different types of the same thing, yes. really. Um, lymphocytic alopecia, and it's linked to usually some other disease going on elsewhere in the body and treated with immunosuppressants because obviously you're trying to get rid of those lymphocytes that are causing the scarring. Right. 
And in a similar style, there's something called neutrophilic alopecia. So that's another sort of white cell called a neutrophil. You know, when we discussed white cells, we said there were five different types yes. of white cell. And neutrophil is one of them. Okay. Neutrophils usually fight bacterial infection. Sometimes when you look at the cells in the area of um, hair loss, you find these neutrophils. And again, folliculitis, decalvans and dissecting cellulitis of the scalp sound awful, don't they? <laughs> but they are both forms of neutrophilic alopecia. And you use immunosuppressants, you can use antibiotics. But these, these are rare causes of hair loss. And if you have them, you tend to be treated by a specialist in hospital um, with systemic tablet-type therapies. And th these are all scarring alopecia? These are scarring, um, and unfortunately, once the scarring is there, the hair, we know, will not regrow. So we're going to go back to alopecia areata, which we paused on. It's common. It has about a 2% lifetime risk, and it can affect any part of the body, including the eyebrows and eyelashes. And it's characterised by well-defined patches of complete non-scarring hair loss. There are no signs of inflammation, there's no scale, there's no redness, on the whole there's no itchiness, and you can see hair follicles. Sometimes if you look under a microscope or even with your eyes, you can see what they call exclamation sign hairs. These are hairs that are wider at the top and taper towards the scalp, and the scalp will show tenting if you gently pull the hair, so it doesn't instantly fall out when you, when you pull it. It's associated with other autoimmune diseases, um, including thyroid disease, vitiligo, which is this condition where you lose pigment in your skin and you get white patches. And rosacea, lots of people have Rosacea, it, interesting that there's a link, um, but I, it wasn't one I was aware of, but rosacea isn't an autoimmune disease that we're aware of. No, no. okay, but, but um, a lot of people have both. seem to have both, including interesting. me. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Oh. So alopecia totalis is defined as complete hair loss on the head and alopecia universalis is complete hair loss on the scalp and the body. There is potential for regrowth and spontaneous hair growth is common when the disease is limited and often happens within the first year. They recommend potent topical corticosteroids um, on the scalp and you can inject steroids into the scalp for limited scalp disease and sometimes can give the steroids as a tablet. But unfortunately, Regain, which we discussed before, minoxidil, tacrolimus and pimeprolimus creams were not effective in clinical trials. So topical bimataprost is an effective treatment to make eyelashes longer and thicker, but it doesn't work for alopecia areata. But there are new agents on the block, including JAK inhibitors, J-A-K inhibitors. These are showing promising results in phase two clinical trials. And these are things like, tefa I can't even say these things, <laughs> tefacitinib and reloxitinib. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were originally used for rheumatoid arthritis because they suppress the immune system and found to help uh, with hair regrowth and it's the Janus kinus inhibitor um, it shuts off the signal that causes the autoimmune attack Janus kinase is in a family of enzymes that trigger over, an overactive immune system and if it's going to work it hair regrows three months after starting treatment but again, it's less effective in long-standing alopecia universalis. That's a shame. Mm. So that's, you know, a year or so, a year and a half ago, I went to the hair and nail department at Guy's, 
I mm. must have preferred them. They were brilliant. And they were about to start a trial on JAK inhibitors, mm. which seemed really to have worked very mm. well in the States. But of course, COVID has put a stop to that. Oh, I'm so sorry. So it's slightly, slightly depressing to hear that it's not going to work now because I've been bald for such a long time. Yeah, I mean, there is another option and it's called topical diphencyprone immunotherapy. This is made up in acetone, so you have to keep it away from sunlight and children, keep it away from small children anyway, wear gloves. And what it does is it induces an allergic response. Um, So you put it on the scalp and you get a kind of allergic response to it, which redirects the immune response. Um, It's been used off-licence in the NHS and privately for over 20 years. And in patients who failed steroid treatment, it induces 50 to 75% regrowth. Half of those patients then maintain the regrowth, but another half require a second treatment. Of course, being something that induces an allergic response, you can get a severe side effect of itching, burning and blistering. So you have to start with a test patch. You want to check for that first. And rarely it can cause hypo or hyperpigmentation. So you might um, have a white patch or you might have a brown patch at the site of the lotion. By the way, just going back to the itchiness and areata, when you lose your hair or you're losing your hair um, and it's regrowing, it can be incredibly itchy. So it might not be a a symptom of areata, but it it is there. A whole lot to fall out. Well, I was left with little wispy bits at the front which I desperately clung on to because I thought it would give the appearance of hair. But obviously, in the end, I had to brave the shave, as a lot of people do. And it's actually a very cathartic moment. It feels much better to have done with that process. The process of losing your hair is, is, you know, it can be very traumatic. And I'm very lucky that it happened to me, I'm going to say in old age. I'm not that old, but you're very young. (laughs) And I've, I've sort of passed the dating stage I have a lovely husband who is I mean I wouldn't say he's oblivious to what I look like and I think he probably did notice that I was losing my hair but that's about it really so I was lucky I feel very sorry for people who are younger and have got the dating or even children who lose their hair it must be very very tricky do you find people stare at you they did well in the early stages when I didn't know how to deal with it I certainly felt that people were staring. Of course they were, because I was trying desperately to cover up the patches. So I was wearing sort of scarves, but of course you're not wearing scarves like people who wear scarves for fashion wear scarves. I had to have scarves that covered the whole of the back of my head. So I sort of looked like a bit like a pirate for a while, I think, probably. And because I work in a school, there was a a really crucial moment when... A very nice parent said to me that the, the older children were a bit concerned. They thought I had cancer. So I thought, right, you know, I either go and curl up in a ball and never come out again, or I've got to come out of, with what is happening to me. And I thought I would tell the children first, which I did. And they were brilliant. Didn't really bother. And from then on, it was much easier. I remember one boy saying, oh, we just thought you were becoming really cool and trendy with your headgear. I was like, no, no, <laughs> definitely not. Sorry, I just oh. needs must. And then another said to me, if you have to wear wigs... I will wear wigs with you. Oh, so lovely. That's lovely. Yes, I think being visible and being out in a professional capacity was very, very challenging. But I look back on it and I think I didn't really know what the solutions were. And if you think your hair might grow back again, you don't then want to spend a lot of money, which you have to do on wigs. So like I say, it's much easier once you know that your hair has gone 
and it's probably not coming back, at least you can get on with life and you can work it out. You know, in that in-between stage is quite tricky. Did you try any of the sort of treatments we vaguely alluded to? My GP was very, he was very kind, but he really did say to me that it probably will come back on it of its own accord, which it didn't. Um, and you can have these treatments, but they're probably not going to work. And so I didn't really have much store in them in the first place, but I was, I was very happy with that because as far as I can tell, people who are desperately trying different treatments and wanting things to work 90% of the time, or maybe more, well, it one, just doesn't work. One and then disappointment you've got, after another. You've got even more grief then. And you were talking to me about things that I hadn't really thought through, like the, what happens when you don't have nostril hair yeah. and what happens when you don't have eyelashes. That's the worst. So tell me about that. Yeah, so losing the hair on your head is, is kind of annoying. And by the way, it's very, very cold, cold being mm. bald. Um, but losing facial hair is a, is a lot more difficult to deal with. I mean, I think from the point of view of vanity, quite apart from anything else, eyebrows you can manage a little bit. A lot of people have microblading. Microblading. So you can do that. Um, I actually just put on tattoos with water and they peel off after a day or two, but they're fine. They look great. I, I mean, mean, you would yeah. not know that those were not eyebrows. No. But eyelashes is much more difficult. Yes. And also you find that your eyes are very vulnerable to all sorts of infections and find things get into my eyes the whole time and they're itchy. And then, of course, you have to wear makeup if, if you don't want to feel like you look really odd. But then wearing the makeup when you've got no eyelashes it gets in your mm. eye and it's, it's just really annoying mm. so yeah that is a bit tricky I find that my nose runs permanently without nasal hair it's interesting <laughs> a lot of people do guess you don't re you don't realize that what your nasal hair does for you no do exactly you? Yeah. nasal hair is a very good thing but on, but on one good note Lucy you'll never have <laughs> well, a beard <laughs> no and there are other positives which <laughs> maybe we shouldn't discuss <laughs> um Georgie can you tell us about your pattern of hair loss and how it started and how it made you feel and your kind of voyage of discovery and what you've discovered that might may help the people listening today? Yep. Uh, so the type of hair loss that I have is um, the official name is androgenetic alopecia and it's also referred to as female pattern hair loss. Um, and I, I've had it for a long time, but I was only fairly recently diagnosed with it. So I knew I had thin hair for a long time. Probably it started really thinning when I was in my 20s. Um, and then it was when I had my first daughter, which was five years ago, after having a baby, it's quite normal for your hair to fall out. Yes. Um, and so mine did fall out and shed, but then it's supposed to come back. back. Mm. And I already had thin hair. So then all this baby mm. hair that I'd lost then didn't grow back. Mm. Um, and I'd always been quite self-conscious about my hair, but this, it reached a point then where I was worrying about it every single day. I didn't want people to take photos of me because mm. you'd, if the light reflected off my head, you'd see bald bits or yes. thin bits. Um, and I started using brown dry shampoo um, to sort of Dye cover scalp. up my scalp. Mm. And then that then progressed to, um, there's a couple of different sprays. One was called Topic, which is a, a oh, much kind that. of thicker brown, like claggy spray 
which mm. got everywhere on my teeth, up my nose. Oh no! <laughs> but I remember like a powder that you could shake onto yeah. your bald patch. Yeah. And then it made it, it made your hair kind of static somehow. It was supposed to make your hair stick together a little bit. I, I thought that was top, topic. Yeah, top. So but they topic. do a spray and then they do fibers. But every day I would wake up and I'd look in the mirror and go and be stressed yeah. about my hair loss. Um, and then obviously after I had my daughter, it got significantly worse. Um, and the turning point was my best friend got engaged and asked me to be her maid of honour. And the thought of everyone at the wedding staring mm. at me, having mm. loads of photos taken with my hair, it would, it would ruin the whole experience for me. Um, so I started Googling and, um, and then I stumbled across toppers which is a whole other long story about my topper journey. But around that time was when I went to my doctor about hair loss. Well, you're pretty hopeless, I would say. Is that what you found? <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, yes. To be honest, I'm pretty hopeless. So um, no, my doctor was really nice and he was really helpful. Mm. And, it, and the solution they offered me, you could only take it with the contraceptive pill. But I can't take the contraceptive pill because it gives me visual migraines. So he said, I'll just try it and see what happens. So I took it for two weeks and I had a visual migraine oh, and no. so I stopped taking yeah. it. Okay, so you tried nothing else? No, I, I'd i heard that Regain could help you keep the hair you've got, but it wouldn't actually grow your hair back. I think there are problems with it. It's not really a solution, is no. it? It's just a patch-up job and mm. I think maybe like I just felt at that point, similar point, that I just had to accept what was happening to me and trying to find solutions myself rather than that desperate search for a cure which yeah. isn't there. They yeah. do say that hair transplants can work in female pattern baldness. Is that something you explored? And I did think about it, but then I read that it's fine if your hair loss stays the same, but then as your hair loss progresses, more hair falls out. So then you might be left with this kind of patchy bit at the you've front. You've got new hair here, but yes. now this hair has thinned. I see. So I think we should talk a little bit about wigs. Well, I think most of us start off with hair wraps and that kind of thing, especially if I think people who have chemo and they know that their hair will probably grow back again, then you're not going to start investing in wigs, partly because of the expense and partly because flipping uncomfortable mm. um so there's loads and loads of youtube videos from fabulous people who teach you how to wrap turbany scarves and you can have a lot of fun with that lots of different colors i mean i would be totally incompetent at wrapping a scarf around my it, head and i have very little patience and no. can you get pre-wrapped ones yes you can can you oh yes oh. the pre-wrapped turbans are lovely there's lots of them out there interesting and then you can get pre-wrapped turbans or hats with a little fringe in the front you can get gym wigs where you have a half wig and you have a big hairband and at least you haven't got a great big wig on the top of your head you've got a partial wig so yeah there's lots of alternatives to wigs but obviously especially if you're going to be without hair for a while you tend to want to look normal mm. you tend to want people not to notice you and of course you always feel when you haven't got hair on that people do notice there's a shop called Trendco I think there's one in London there's one in Brighton huge wig emporiums and they will spend a lot of time with you talking through what you need and um, do you have to pay up front there no you don't have no. to pay up front so that sounds and like a good option yeah for and people to know. it is when you buy a wig it is adjustable with velcro you can see here oh, there's part of the sort of wefty bit at the back where you can clip it to different parts so you can extend it oh I see 
or tighten it a little so bit. So Lucy's showing me, um, basically, this has a, a, a sort of band all the way around the circumference of the, the wig with a clip that's adjustable. The clips clip into the little pockets there. I understand, yes. Um, this is the wefts, they're called, and they're like rows of material and columns of material on which the hair is attached. Um, so if we turn the wig inside out and look on the inside, it's basically, there's lace and it basically attaches together. Do you know what it reminds me of? What? This will not make any clearer to anyone, but if you ever see the inside of a thatched roof, I've seen this type of roof structure in Africa, where there's um, a best, basically a very long baton and then all the kind of palm fronds are attached to the baton and then the roof is made up of overlapping batons. Mm. So there's a baton with palm leaves and then another baton with palm leaves mm. and they all overlap. And what you can see in the inside of this wig are batons of hair, basically. So all the hair is in a horizontal row attached to a little band and then there's lots of overlapping bands and they're um, attached longitudinally by lace. And so it's a, that's, what's, and that's called a weft. Yes, a wefted cap. That's right. Personally, I find it, I find it quite uncomfortable. You so said I definitely, itchy, yeah, itchy. Of, mm. um, um, is it sweaty? They're less sweaty because there's air yes. flowing, so, so that's, that's okay. The and you can you can buy wig caps, which I would really recommend. Um, bamboo wig wig caps are the best. Okay. And they're just a little cap that you can put on your scalp, and then put the wig on top, and it sort of stops it moving around. And it's the moving around that's kind of itchy. So at the front, um, the more expensive wigs have what's called a lace front, and that means that you can part your hair in any way. Um, the cheaper wigs will just have a parting and that parting often doesn't look particularly natural so you probably want to go for a lace front and then I find um, monofilament wigs are the m by far the most comfortable. Is that's better than human hair? No this this is oh, just the, 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 underneath. the part we haven't even talked about. Sorry. The, the type of hair this is the underneath okay. part. A monofilament it looks a little bit it's just a very gentle airy fabric but it tends to be more expensive. Okay. Um, and then in terms of the hair... Hang on, before you go on to yeah. hair, you also talked about one that you had right at the beginning that was very sweaty-making, that was... Ah, yes. Well, that's because I found wefted wigs unbearable to wear in the early days, and I've never worked out whether that's because I was still losing my hair, I was in that stage of real itchiness, mm. and then trying to put a wig on top, or whether I had some kind of reaction, I don't know. So at that point, I was despairing, thinking I'd never be able to wear a wig and um, I was put um, put onto Suplex wigs, which I think are at Trendco, the place I was telling you about. They're made by Trendco, and it's essentially like wearing a swimming cap with hair, and the hair is human hair. I think they only do human hair, and this wig will never come off. There are times when you'd want that to be... Yes, definitely, and it really helped me at that stage. It's definitely fixed, and, and it's I would not say at all itchy, but the problem with that is it's it's pretty sweaty, you know. Because it looks a little bit more like a you would imagine a swimming cap. Yes, it, and it's that's what it feels like. So it's, it's like a stretchy plastic. Yeah, that's right. Kind of, but, but non-breathable. Yeah, and there aren't many of them around, I think, because of those problems. But mm. Suplex, that's that's the brand. Yeah. So hair, obviously, um, there's synthetic wigs and human hair wigs, and synthetic hair is cheaper than human hair 
I also remember at the beginning thinking, gosh, do I want somebody else's hair on my head? But people who were already wearing wigs talked about wigs as their hair very casually, and I soon got used to that idea. It becomes your hair very quickly. But synthetic wigs are cheaper. There's certain things you can't do with them. You can't style them. You can't use heat on them. You have to wash them in a particular way that you don't wash human hair wigs. Um, and they tend to have a short, shortish lifespan. I mean, they start to get quite frizzy and curly if you Matted, don't. Aren't yeah, they? Mm. if you don't watch it. Um, you can steam them. I bought a steamer, and it's it's really good actually. Um, strangely enough, steaming your hair. Do you mean like um, an iron like a, type steamer? Yes, you see the. Not a vegetable steamer. (laughs) Not a vegetable steamer. I can imagine putting your wig in in a vegetable steamer. Alert. It would probably work. Well, it might do. It's probably the same technique, but no, like a clothes steamer. Thank you, Nikki. (laughs) And human hair wigs are much more expensive, but it is really rather lovely having human hair back on your head, and it means you can style the wigs, shape them, style them as you want. They're much more versatile. You said it's quite difficult to cut a wig, and I've you had can. some. <laughs> I've had some bad experiences. Haircut, yes, and my lovely hairdresser, who obviously I don't see very much anymore, um, he wanted to try and help with wigs, but it is a very different thing cutting a wig. To, yes. to, so you can't really just go along to your hairdressers. You have to find somebody who's used to cutting wigs. So, so. Georgie, can you tell us all what a topper is? Please. Uh, yes. Yeah, so it's. Um, <laughs> It's sort of like a half wig. It's like the top half of a wig, um, and it just clips onto the top of your head. Um, into so it, your hair, isn't it? Yeah, so you have hair. to have some hair yeah. to wear a topper because um, the majority of toppers are attached by these pressure-sensitive clips. So it's sort of um, a hair... It gives you a hairline at the front and a parting, and then you can get different size bases. So I wear quite big bases now, but if you... Say you've just lost a little bit of hair on the top of your head, you can buy these very small um, toppers that just clip in. So that would um, basically, you're sort of signalling a small patch of hair loss, so the topper would cover a very small volume, a a small area, I should say, not volume. Uh, But you can, can you have toppers that are almost like full wigs, but only half the wig attached? It's the the bottom bit that's a half, that the rest of the hair can be full. full Yeah, so you, you can... Start from really small. I don't small. Know if I explain that very well at all. <laughs> so I mean, I have to wear bigger bases now because my since having another child, my hair loss has got even worse. Yes. Mm. Um, but I have got lots of different size toppers, so you can you start with these really small ones that mm. are sort of I don't know four by four inches, and then they they get progressively bigger. So for a while, I was wearing six by sevens, mm. and then now I wear anything from sort of seven by seven up to nine by nine. But you can get a 10 by 10, which pretty much hugs the whole of your head. Um, but it just doesn't, um, it's just clips rather than where a wig sort of relies on the pressure of the band. If that mm. makes sense. Yes. But you have to have, um, so the topper blends with your own hair. So you have to have some of your own hair yeah. underneath mm. to sort of. Well, poke I, out and blend. Georgie's just showing us at the moment her own hair under her topper. And actually, I honestly can tell you, you cannot tell where the wig ends and her, your hair begins and you look fabulous. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, what would you advise people at the beginning of their journey? Don't be overwhelmed because there's so much choice. Yes, it, yeah. Once you start to get into it, you suddenly realise that there's 
tons of different types of topper. You can get human hair, you can get synthetic, and they, they're both good for different reasons. Um, I mean, when I was first looking for this first topper to wear to my friend's wedding, I found this company in the UK that sold them, and the woman who ran it did all these YouTube videos of her wearing the toppers, and I used to just watch them for hours, how she put them on, how she blended them, what she did, um, and I eventually went on to buy one of hers, and I've got this photo of me when I first put it on. And I remember putting it on and thinking, oh, it looks so fake. It doesn't look like my hair. It looks terrible. And I felt sick. And I was worried that if I wore it, everyone would notice. Mm. And I look back now, a few years down the line, and it looked fine. Mm. And I don't know what I was worried about. Well, I guess it's just a, it looks different to how you are used to looking, I suppose. Yes. And, and then you notice that and feel very self-conscious. There's something that you said about um, people taking photos of you and worrying about that reminded me of a, a really big thing for me in, over the years is I suddenly realized nobody was taking photos of me anymore because everybody was assuming that I wouldn't want to be photographed. And I kind of thought, God, I'm going to have to do something about this and tell people it's actually okay to, mm. to, to photograph me bald. But again, it's a, it's a journey, that kind of thing. And if you're, you, you can't really have the same fun, I presume, with toppers as you can with wigs in terms of going radically different. Colour-wise, yeah. or... <laughs> you, you can change... So I, I do wear a few different shades, but you can't go from kind platinum of... blonde to, to black. Yeah. And what sort of prices are we talking about for people to understand the kind of variation in price? I know they can be very expensive. Yes. It, I mean, it varies hugely. So synthetic toppers you can get for around £120 upwards. Hmm. Um, human hair toppers are significantly more expensive i would say 400 pounds upwards mm. but you can pay over a thousand pounds depending on the length and the density of, but of there the most i've paid i think my first topper was 350 pounds mm. and then a year later i wore that one for a whole year yeah every day um and then a year later i bought a slightly longer slightly thicker one that was 500 pounds mm. um but then I, I tend to um you can get some quite good secondhand toppers because they're so hard to get the perfect blend lots of people buy them and then sell them on mm. so you can actually if you pick the right brand you can get a really good deal on a secondhand one that hasn't been worn too much mm. um it's probably also worth saying that if you have any kind of alopecia or hair loss, then um, you get the VAT off. You just have to fill in a form online when you're buying your wig and you'll automatically get the mm. VAT off. And I always find buying wigs that I go to the same companies because I like them, but they always have 30% off deals. Once. Yeah. So you can you can shop around and you can get some really big yeah. sort of bargains if you, mm. if you wait for the right month. And... Oh, it's definitely worth... Um shopping around and i should just add that if you go to a salon you will pay slightly more for your piece because you're getting all that advice mm, and mm. quite often they will offer services like they can cut and color the piece mm. so it, it's which i think is really important i would also say that lo there's loads of information there's a huge hair loss community on instagram mm. And there's loads of support groups on Facebook mm. and they're really useful. And then YouTube videos. There's so many tutorials that you mm. can watch, you know, how to stick the lace onto your head or how to um, blend your hair at the front with your topper. There's 
a huge amount of information mm. out there. Mm. So it's definitely worth looking on there. And you've got a lot of information on your Instagram page, Georgie. Yeah, I try so, to. I try to. Yeah, so what's your Instagram what page called? Um, so it's called Her Hair, My Head. Okay, well, that's... With underscores between each word. So I just wanted to mention that the early stages of hair loss, I think it's definitely the worst stage. And I would almost liken it to a, a sort of grieving process. You've got to go through the shock of it happening, then the uncertainty of what's going to happen when, um, and then you have to come to terms with it. And it, it, do, it is life-changing and it, it does, I think it's a really good learning process in a way, but it does change and develop and certainly for me a year or two on I feel very very differently about having no hair than I did in the early stages and it does become easier and I think most people would say that I think that that's a message of hope for people in the dark stages at the yes, moment definitely isn't it? Um, <clears throat> and then the process of the medical process when you lose your hair you go to your GP you want to be told there's something to be done about it you'll probably be told to take blood tests as you've said to check ferritin levels and iron mm -hmm. and so on and so forth and I think a lot of people certainly on the Facebook page I see a lot of people who are new to the group who are always referred to dermatologists and are very hopeful that they will be able to be helped but in a lot of cases they are then disappointed again you know I think that there's a lot to learn for GP for GPs from talking to you and to Georgie about the whole I think about how seriously to take this condition and that I think because GPs feel that they don't really understand it and they don't really know what's out there and they're not quite sure of the treatments it tends to get slightly brushed under the carpet a little bit and not taken seriously and mm. actually I think if anything doing this podcast has made me realize that that we need to just we need to kind of act as quickly as we can I mean obviously if it's the type of alopecia that my son had a stress related one that you know will come back on its own then that's one thing but but you don't know do you, you, you all know, started like that and then it and, and then it just carried yeah. on going and, and my my feeling is and I, I was told this by my nearest and dearest at the time that it was probably a stress reaction to things that some real trauma that had happened in my life and mm. I remember not really believing it but actually now I think that right. is true and it, it took a while it took a few years for it to happen yes. completely yes but I wouldn't be at all surprised but I hope between us we've covered the context around the way medics and GPs look at alopecia with the classification but more importantly we've had your stories which I think will chime a chord with lots of sufferers mm. and like I say it does change your perception of you somehow but it it can make you feel a lot stronger in yourself I think and you do come out thinking I cannot care what people think and for me as you know Nikki I go for comfort rather than style almost always so me when too. we're walking and mm. I never wear hair because Why I can't be you? bothered it's you know horrible. I'd much rather wear a hat horrible wig <laughs> So I think we should be strong and proud know, of who we are. And us, let's yes. face it, Lucy, you are gorgeous oh, and thank you, utterly darling. beautiful. <laughs> Time for the best bit <laughs> of all, which is, Georgie, that you get to choose our music for the end of the podcast today. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Such excitement! <laughs> what are you so, going to choose? Um, so 
as I've already mentioned, I have a five-year-old. And she makes me watch the same films over and over and over again. But it's almost like, is it Stockholm Syndrome? Where you start to like it because you've seen it so many times. So the song I'm going to choose is from the film Trolls. And it links into what we've been talking about because it's called Hair Up. Hooray! Yay. I can't wait. That sounds like so much fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Georgie.